sure. Okay, Mike, thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. Um, beginning of the podcast, guest guest to dedicate it. So what would you like to dedicate this episode? Ooh, I get a dedication. Yeah. Um, I would I would say in recent years, um, I'm lucky to be a, a new company member of Fearless Comedy Productions here in the Twin Cities. Fearless? Um, Fearless Comedy Productions. Fear, okay. <clears throat> and uh, I guess... Um, I'm, you know, it's more or less an honor to become a member of a company like that. Nice. Um, but, uh, cool. yeah, I'd like to dedicate it to them and their upcoming 50-hour comedy marathon that they run yearly. Oh, so. wow. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, hold, um, we'll get to it in a second. In a second. Yeah. So uh, Mike uh, is uh, just talking about on the, on the uh, dedication, Fearless Comedy, what is it called? Productions. Productions, I want to get it right. And then how long have you been with them? Uh, it's going to be two years, about. A little two. over two years now. Oh, all right. All right. A little over. Is this a group, like an actor, like a workshop? Uh, yeah, it's a local uh, production company here in the Twin Cities, and they do improv, uh, new works, um, a lot of different things, but it's dedicated mostly in, in kind of the, the name Fearless comes from just put yourself out there. Right. You know, don't necessarily be afraid to, to try something new or try something different. So that's another thing with that the, the comedy marathon I'd mentioned, um, the 50-hour marathon, just die laughing. Uh, it's kind of cool. Um, it's a new opportunity for people to kind of do whatever. Right. Um, never tried improv. They can get up on stage try something new so well if everybody open tells, forum for yeah. people in the company as well as anybody off the street which is so cool where's this located um it happens at the phoenix theater okay. um in in minneapolis and when it's at the end of march um okay. just look up die laughing or fearless comedy productions i think fearless fearless.org fearless comedy.org or .com just google don't quote it. me on the website that's, <laughs> that's what i do right like google it like everything else in the world all right, introduction. So I'm Nick. And I'm Vince. And we have our special guest actor, Mike Bloom, coming on. Uh, what is happening on your schedule? What's the big thing happening right now outside of Fearless? Right now, I'm in the middle of a show. It's our last weekend coming up here. Um, that one's called Fearless Five, which is another Fearless production. <laughs> so it comes to mind. <laughs> you, Mike, you got a theme going. Got a theme. <laughs> um, but uh, it's five different shows, um, okay. five short comedies, all different writers, directors, uh, cast of six. But I think about two or three are brand new writers, never written a show before, um, okay. had an opportunity to kind of post it, put something out there. You know, it's kind of a blurb, one sentence or two, what you wanted your show to be about, and then kind of pitch it that way. And then right. whoever landed on it, then they have some, some writers that were kind of like dedicate to them and give them some assistance, I guess, write the script. Where were you? Where is it being shown at? Where do you guys are? What was that? Where, where people, people can find the show somewhere? Oh, that one's at uh, that one's at Mounds Theater, uh, okay. which is off of uh, Mounds Mounds Boulevard, Mounds Avenue, um, off of off of ninety four towards actually uh, really close to three M campus. You can't miss that building. Um, but yeah, just, no, it's, it's all, cool. just also St. Paul, right? Uh, yeah, just heading yeah. well, yeah, out east of St. Paul, east heading right. towards like Chicagoland if you want to go that far. So you mentioned five shows. Are these like five short stories shown in one sitting, or is it like you got to go to like five different shows? No, okay, good question. Um, it's three weekends, <laughs> uh, three weekends at seven thirty on Friday and Saturday nights, but it's it's five all at the same time. So it's you know you get three, and then you get an intermission, then you get two more. Um, it's themed. So this year is noir, so it's like kind of film noir or anything in that aspect. So a lot of it's got a, you know private investigators or right. Ocean's Eleven kind of feel deal. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. lots of different things. Kind so the word on the street yeah. is that you kind of have a special role in this like five story production uh, um, production that you got going on here. Do you want to? Can you elaborate on? Do you well, have a special role? I, I guess it's really in the, in the in the category of just being lucky. Um, I don't I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily put it on being talented, but I have to say, timing is everything with it. It really is. <laughs> but 
It's uh, it's the second time in the history of this production that I've uh, that one cast member is in all five of the shows, which and, is kind of cool. And who yeah. who is the one cast member? That's me. That's okay, okay. Thing. So yeah. you Thank do you have Vince, a special obviously. Role. So you uh, do have a special. Plug role. it a little bit more. Okay. Um, but no, I mean it's 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 an interesting. It's a it's a, it's a fun time because it's a spectrum of characters. I mean, one one person is an absolute terrible human being that shouldn't walk the face of the planet but there's people like that out there so playing a character like that I, I, I like to do because right. it brings light to some of the scum of the earth <laughs> sure it's, sure it, sure right, yeah. it's something that yeah, sometimes needs to be highlighted in yeah. a way people always say they like to play the bad guy right? it's it's yes. it's it sometimes it sucks sometimes it's a ton of fun uh, <laughs> this one's it's just not fun at all it's it's a horrible he's a horrible human being um and uh, that one's called Uber Driver and um, <laughs> and it you know I already got an idea yeah, yeah but it's it's very politically charged that show um and he's he's a political advisor and you know a lot of kind of go along with that sure. aspect of yeah. the noir nature of of politics you know there's gonna be scumbags and and uh, the D word as as people like to say but you know so. yeah. But uh, on the other spectrum, I play a one one character that's just the stupidly happy-go-lucky character that's over the top. He's a private investigator that should be an absolute doofus, but he's figured everything out from the get-go. <laughs> so accidentally, or well, yeah. uh, don't talking, tell too much. That's right? the timing. Everything cool about a process like this is that I actually got to talk to Kelvin Kelvin uh, Hatley, right. Kelvin Hatley, who's the who's the writer for this one, and he did only two drafts to get this show written. And the wow, first time around, he had he had the character be this complete doofus and at the end of it he kind of figures it out by happenstance whereas the second writing he kind of knows what's going on from the get-go which changes the way that the feel of it the feel of the character the character development and even just the final line of the show not to ruin anything but it's 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 a wonderful thing it's a it's a wonderful build-up for one last three sentence word or line to just land on a very very good laugh it's been so that's that's a fun time very cool now is there you know, obviously, this sounds like a great thing that you're doing here with this fearless company. Is there anything else within, like, say, acting or even related to acting that you kind of like to do um, that's different from the stage? Um, different in the in the aspect of it's not common, I guess. For um, how do I want to phrase that? Stage combat, I guess, is where I want to go. It's still something you see on stage, but it's not, I guess, a common. Yeah, off the stage. Necessarily a yeah. skill set or something that you're gonna gonna go and learn and train to do. It's usually something that you might come across in a show. You need to properly punch somebody without hurting them, or you need to even use a sword and three musketeers randomly, or you're doing a Shakespeare show that requires to do some weapon work you may have not done before. But the art of stage combat is extremely important to keep people safe, right? But yeah. kind of, I guess that aspect of what ties to me is that is something that I've done training in for since 2010 i went to a national stage combat workshop which is a three-week intensive eight hour plus a day oh my god to do yeah that's three three plus weapons during wow. that time so i got certified there i kind of for reasons i i had somewhat of a falling off last year i didn't touch stage combat really at all last year but it happens but other than that i've i've done um a show called human combat chess um, with six human elements. combat chess that their first show was like professionally that they did um, it was a, a senior seminar actually for a guy named Mike Lubke who's a, a certified teacher here in the the Twin Cities for stage combat which getting it certified is a pretty big deal but anyway yeah. uh, we don't have a lot of CTs here certified teachers in the Twin Cities so anyway um, it was a senior seminar in college. <laughs> he just randomly was like, "What? I got an idea for a show." I'm like, okay, pitch it. And he's like, "Okay, so, so picture chess. Sure, all right, <laughs> we can do that." So you got a chessboard, okay? Sure. Uh, I want to have thirty-two actors on stage representing the chess pieces, and then I want them to play out the game. And let's let's I guess have the kings, you know, throw the moves. Like, okay, pawn to. A one or whatever. So the king's calling the moves. That's a terrible way to call it out because A one be A two would be staying in place. Yeah. Anyway, so moving upon forward via the alphanumeric code set that you would in chess, um, they move players, and then when they come together, instead of the attacker taking the square as you necessarily would in normal chess, it turns into a fight. So it's unarmed. Right. You know, knights are knight knife fights, sword and shield broadsword you name it like name any of the eight yeah. known uh you know safd society of artistic fight director 
stage combat weapons that you would get certified in. Any any of the eight plus that um, that's that was kind of what his, his senior seminar was. So I think he that's had a like, samurai cool. fight with with katanas, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so his first time doing it, you know, professionally with a company, which is Six Elements, uh, was 2011. And I just randomly fell on it. I was doing some Shakespeare in the Park crime Shakespeare show. Um, I think that was Julius Caesar at the time. And one of my counterparts was like, "Hey, there's this thing." And I, you know, you know, we were talking about that you went to nationals last summer. You know, you're not really doing anything with it. How about auditioning for this thing? I was like, "Hell yeah! Why not? It sounds right, excellent. Right. Let's do some stage combat." And so ended up auditioning, got into it, and. It's it's been a cool thing. They've done it every year since then. Um, they're not going to be with Six Elements this year. It's the first year they're not going to be with the company. Something happened. I'm not sure, or something didn't. I don't know. They wanted to offshoot with just chess because it's gotten a lot bigger. Okay. So this year they're going to have two games instead of just one, which is a logistical nightmare. I can only imagine being on the other side of the table trying right. to figure out. Uh, you know, thirty, it's sixty-four minimum, I guess. At wow, that point, maybe actors. if you're going to have two legitimate full-size games, it would be a minimum uh, sixty-four actors that you're there for trying to figure out. And is yeah. is this telling the story? For choreography and all that jazz. What was that? Is it? Is it? A, is it a, a with chess? It's, is it a it's choreographed like, it's a dynamic one? game? It's more okay. Of a so it really is anything. like unscripted. Yeah. Well. Other yeah. than how? Yes. Is it kind of <laughs> WWE story, yes, where it's to like keep people safe with the choreography and things? Technically, it's not, but. In the scheme of things, it's it's like going to a live sporting match. That's that's the way that the audience would. That's how I. Yeah. That's how I was getting at. Yeah. Does the opponent, you know, opposing king, know what moves are coming up? Right. No. But when two players meet, they know what to do. And logistically, to keep things safe, yes, it's going to be the same game every night. Um, so, is it possible so, for the person attacking to not take the square? Only if it's going to be a stalemate. There are the chances that, that it's been predetermined yet again with the choreography and blah, blah, blah. Because um, you, you could have it just dynamic. You, you have two actors come up on stage, and they have two steel weapons, and they don't have choreography, and they're just going to sling steel at each other. That's not safe, right? So <laughs> in the scheme of things, you have to have it choreographed. So, like, you know, right? In the, so sure, it's going to sure. be the same moveset. It's going to be the same thing. So just to nail that one down, but... I guess to answer your question, yes, there could be an opportunity that was written in where uh, they come to a stalemate where they, they both get disarmed or both yeah. their weapons are off the board or something happens yeah. where it's just a draw. <laughs> and then, you know, what happens then? You don't. Nobody takes the square, so they both go back to their original places before the move even happens. It's like it never even happened. I get it. I get so it. that's how yeah. that would go. Got it, got it. Yeah, which is a very, it's interesting, but it's cool that they implemented that in the scheme of things. So now I've also heard that you like to do something annually in the late summer every year. Oddly, that sounds familiar. Um, so, sounds like something that involves often mud. Yeah, Sometimes yep, that's it's possible. ridiculously hot. Yep. And you, uh, you know, kind of find a cool corner. And uh, sometimes it's raining, and uh, it sounds like the Renaissance Festival. Right? That would be it. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell us about that. Well, it's an experience, I'll tell you that much. Um, you don't do it for the money. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. don't do it for the money. You do it because you love it. Um, you, you seriously, nobody would be out there if they didn't. If there wasn't a community, there wasn't a reason to, to, to want to drive yourself there every day. Yeah. And camp there. If you don't camp there, you drive every day. Or sometimes you may have to come midday and you're dealing with traffic. Like, it's totally a labor of love, but it's a wonderful experience. So, so everybody, now, I just want to interrupt. Yeah. So everybody that's not part of Minnesota, uh, in the August um, is what we regard as the Renaissance Festival. It's what, every weekend for a month? Um, for seven weeks. For seven weeks. Seven so, weekends. so over seven weekends in uh, Shakopee, Minnesota. Yeah. So, and but it's third large. I think well, top yeah. three. Um, it's at least Texas. I think is number one or number two. Yeah. Um, Twin Cities or uh, Minnesota Renaissance Festival will be in the top three, and then in, I want to say it was not Wisconsin. It's either California or New York would be in the top three as well. All right. So anybody's not really under no, yeah, no yeah. order. So it's, Renaissance festivals across the nation. It's more like <laughs> going back to Middle Ages, right? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's it's the whole the whole name of it kind of sticks to the idea is like you, you you walk through the gates of a given village or festival. 
and you're transported back into 15, 1600s, whatever it might be, Renaissance era. Um, so, you know, you're going to have uh, that feel, at least with cast members, with their costumes that will certainly transport you. But it's also the way that the the grounds are established and designed and the buildings look very much the time. And God knows the roads under the, the right uh, weather conditions are exactly yeah. like being in the Renaissance. Right, right. You no know, paved and so roads, folks, very you know, muddy. Right, you know, understand that like there are uh, hundreds of actors and actresses. Oh, it's an amazing cast. that that like fill this village, right? Yeah, I mean, in the scheme of hundreds, literally hundreds of of just performers, uh, street performers, dedicated cast, people that do shows, people like the Tortuga Twins that travel across to all the different uh, stages and the Danger Committee and dedicated shows like that. But then you've got. You know, they, the street performers that really make it a, a living, breathing village. You've got the village yeah. idiot. You've got the sheriff. You've and got that would include you know, you, Robin right? Hood. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, what? Village idiot? Village idiot. <laughs> no, no, he's the sheriff. <laughs> we have one very, very talented gentleman, um, uh, Mr. Scoy, and he is actually a part of the Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. Um, traveling circus as a, as a clown. So... That speaks to a breadth of his talent to become a part of that cast to be with Barnum and Bailey. So we were very lucky to have him, but he does an amazing job as a village idiot. It's, it's right. Well, you could, gonna, oh, oh, go ahead, Nick. I don't know if you're familiar. You know the famous duo that started their career at the Minnesota Red Sox. Yes, Fest. I do. Penn and Teller. Yes, they very started, lucky. 1979. Yeah. They first started their act at the. A lot Red of people Minnesota. don't know that. Well, I knew Puke and Snot, and well, I, it was actually when Teller still spoke. I think yeah, when they started out, that and was I like the first. Vaguely I recall hearing that. Oh yeah, because they, oh, yeah. they, no, they have a special place, right? In Minnesota no, and, oh, heart. it certainly does. And when they well, got, I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't know that because they've just become because they're Vegas. Huge. I mean, they're right. permanently yeah, I mean, installed yeah, in Vegas. Well, what got know? them famous but, was their audacity. They're really blooded. They were out there. Tricks. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'm it David was Letterman. The, I thought it was the ball trick. They, no. they always say it's the hand and ball trick. It was some scare tactic kind of stuff yeah. at the beginning. It was a, it was a lot of wow factor, but it, I mean they're just stupidly talented magicians. They the are, yeah. hand is pretty incredible. And then I mean, they, not even pretty. It's very very much incredible. And I remember I think for like like in the late eighties they unannouncedly showed up at the Renaissance Festival. Oh, I didn't they didn't that. promote. Oh, like they, they returned. That's they cool. returned. Just like all of a sudden popped up. Yeah. Did they just do a street performance or something? Yeah, just do a mile cool. of streets. Yeah. How cool would that be? Why not? Yeah. I mean, there's been random people. I think, uh, oh, not Jason Mraz. Yeah, actually, I think it, yeah, that was a random one. Jason Mraz sold like hot dog or pickles. He was a pickle boy for the <laughs> summer, and that's a job. Yeah, you, you're, you're pickle. a pickle vendor. You're selling pickles all day long, and it's a lot of at you know, a ridiculous. Think about any of the price. puns you could have along with pickles and things of that nature. So it's got to be a fun job, I'm sure. So well, now, how long you been there um, as a performer? Uh, this well as a performer, this will be coming up my fourth season. I've done five years there. The first year, technically, I was working at a place called the Cock and Dragon, which is a costume <laughs> rental place. It's it's one of two, and the coolest one out there. Um, it's right at the the main uh, King's Gate, right right in front some, the front gate. Like literally, it's bad bad weather day, and. A, you want to look the part, and B, you don't want to get your clothes all muddy, so you just go in there, rent something, and you just literally, I mean, you can't necessarily wreck it, of course. Right, right. But, you know, basically destroy it in the weather, in the mud, and call it a day, go home, so that's kind of cool. But that was the, what I did the first year. It was just kind of an opportunity to get in there, and luckily, I'd gotten sort of a, a, a pass to, to be there for every single day. It was just handy. But, yeah, that's how I got introduced to it, and a friend of mine... Had it told me, hey, there's auditions coming up for the sheriff, and I was like, what? It's like the sheriff of the Renaissance. I was like, of course I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> right, the, the, the big guy part. Pre- previously to me, well, at least that had longevity. Um, uh, Bill Lockin, he'd done it for I think 37 or 38 years, yeah. uh, and then they had about four, five, six interim sheriffs, like one a year kind of deal since he had left uh, before I effectively auditioned, got the role. And, fell in love and uh, I'm not going to leave it for a long time. So, yeah, I know it's kind of, kind of, yeah, long story short, well, at least not voluntarily. Um, right? But yeah, it's a, it was a matter of, yeah, you certainly audition if you want to become a part of the cast, but there's auditions every single year and hundreds of people come out of the woodwork and it's pretty fascinating. And 
Br- I always knew What's people What's your on craziest cast. story? Very interesting. You got to have a crazy story from working out there. Oh, there's always crazy stories. I think every day is. Every day is a crazy story. Right. I mean, it's it's some of it's just the people you're running to. So you ever arrest like people? One, it, what's, what's really interesting and fascinating is that usually it's a matter of you'll have an interaction with somebody. And, you know, typically it's so many people are there, you won't see them again. Um, right. One story I've got is, is with a dog, but we'll get there in a second. That one's pretty cool. That one's just kind of a, a, a nice story. This one is a matter of a drunk person. So, like, I, I saw them in the morning, had an interaction with them. And it's me and Sir Guy, right? The sheriff of, of Nottingham and Sir Guy. And um, he's, he's a very tall fellow, hard to miss. And we make a pretty, pretty dynamic duo, I would have to say. It's pretty obvious once you meet us, you won't forget us. So we see her in the morning. Have give her like you know pat her down, do the whole day in like nine nine yards. We do a bit with her, and you know, she has a great time, and she's feeding into it and blah blah blah. This goes on for like ten minutes, which is like a lot longer than a normal size bit. Bits usually happen for thirty seconds a minute, and if you're not familiar with the term bit, that's just a, sort of a, a thing you do. Uh, you know, it's a it's a moment you have. Kind of a right? short interaction. Short interaction. So um, we have a bit with her. Well, that's longer than usual anyway, and uh, the afternoon. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. We just randomly see her go to blow her up again because you know interactions like that are pretty memorable to start with. Sure, she is just wasted at this point. Does not remember us at all. One lick of it, <laughs> and she is digging the tights, digging right. the tights too much. So wow. uh, yeah, you just have to deal with people like that. But it's always fascinating just to just forget. You know, right, right. kind of where they are, who they are, what, what's going on. But similar to that is we had an interaction one morning. It was one of the, the one of the ones where it was cold. You know, it's not a lot of people there. And we came across this person that was, you know, had her dog on a leash. And the dog had fairy wings. And fairy wings. Villains, historically, especially like, you know, Robin Hood kind of villains, they usually go one way or with with sort of fairies in that that land. Either they don't see them. Right, there's two camps. Yeah. You know, either they don't see them at all, or they do and they absolutely despise them, right? <laughs> so we just got to do the, you know, we do see it, but we absolutely hate fairies. Okay. So we see their dog, and we're like, what is that thing you have on on this this leash? Why would you carry that around? Blowing her up and that kind of thing and just making her... Trying to make her seem foolish why she would own a dog, right? It's right? stupid. Yeah. So she's just loving it, has a great time, and then kind of goes on her, her merry way with her partner. And another couple of hours ago by, we see her again, randomly. Like, it's it's a big village. I mean, it's a, it's a matter of miles that you're going to cover and just randomly come across her again. Have another really nice moment with her, just randomly, because, you know, whatever, blow her up again. And then do another bit in passing when she's leaving. Like, three interactions that you get in an environment that you typically never see people again, which is really cool. And then wow. they went home, posted something on Facebook, and one of our cast members was either friends with them or came across it and was like, hey, check this out. And they had put a, a, a caption of us, like, we had taken the leash... And I'm, like, holding it really dazedly from my fingertips because I just, like, why would I hold this thing? Why are you having me hold this thing? Because whatever, you do a bit. And uh, they just absolutely it was, it made their day. And that's, pretty that's, cool. that's yeah. part of the reason that, yet again, why would somebody go out of their way, drive, or otherwise camp out there to do the Renaissance Festival? It's for moments like that. It's pretty lovely. That's pretty awesome. So are you doing stunt combat out there? Um, I did. They they finally brought back because uh, we had talked before the cast got started a little bit about. Um, they used to have a chessboard out at the Renaissance. Yeah, Festival we talked to some. Brett, that they yeah. don't they don't have have the chessboard out there anymore. And what the, that what that was was human combat chess, um, <laughs> and it was obviously a very cool environment where you'd have this dynamic show with stage combat in front of an audience being just regular Joes coming to the Renaissance Festival. Usually you get to watch, you know, jousting, which is pretty cool, but that's not, yeah. you know, usually two people going head on head with a broadsword, kind of swinging at it like yeah. they're meaning to kill you, kind of deal. So it was a very cool dynamic thing that they had out there. But then there was a falling out with the stage combat community that was a part of the festival and this, that, and the other, and they didn't have stage combat out there for years because they didn't have a fight director that was, you know. Had sure. a knowledge shed of stage combat or any of the SEFD stuff, the Society of Artistic Fight Director thing yet again, um, which is the society in America that sanctions stage combat. Okay. Um, so to kind of get that one nailed down, if I just say SEFD from here on out. Um, but anyway, they finally got someone that was competent, capable, knew some things, you know, was, was trained with SEFD work. 
And uh, that was about three seasons ago, I want to say, okay. four seasons ago. They finally brought stage combat back to the festival. And um, I did a street fight against Sir Guy and uh, another one against um, a mercenary character that's, that was out there for a few seasons. Um, and that was awesome to have stage combat back. Yeah, and yeah. Like, for the first season, uh, it was just kind of in a, in a rope ring that they had established kind of on the, the what they called is the sort of the main green. Which is or Bad Manor Green, which is right outside of Bad Manor, which is a very well-known property there at the festival. Right. Um, and uh, towards the Danger Committee stage. And so we had this nice rope ring, which is obviously a good way to keep audiences safe. Yeah. And they're right, not going right. to... Unless they're completely stupid, which, yet again, you still... We had to get a couple people outside the rope, <laughs> even during a fight. Uh, what I'm are you sure. doing? Yeah. People are swinging steel. Uh, and... Um, so that was the first year it was easy to do that. And then, you know, obviously we wanted to have it more dynamic, more like what they had in the past, yeah. more like you're going to have just randomly two people are going to start fighting on the street, right? But all the same, to keep people safe, including children and drunk people, you have to have, you know, at least a small handful of people that are part of that either duo or triplet of people that are going to be doing the stage combat that can keep the audience, like maintain somewhat of a, a physical boundary from yeah. the audience. They should have did Fight so, Club. Like everybody has an assignment, go out and pick a fight with, with a guest and have them beat you up. Well, that, that that's doable. That's doable. Totally different. Um, so it was, you know, we had this back and it was a lot of fun. And then yet again, some falling out happened and there was actually just a lot of turmoil that happened last year with, um, our, our artistic director, um, a lot of that was in the news. Y'all have heard about it. Don't want to name names and things like that. Right, you yeah. probably know. You got um, But uh, along along with that, a lot of other members of the cast kind of bowed out as well for their own personal reasons and, you know, tied to that as well. Just, you know, kind of had hard feelings. And um, we didn't have stage combat last year, but I, I'm, I'm sure that, Things will work out. We'll bring it back again okay. this coming season. But it's it's a matter of a you've got to have a fight director that you can run effectively a fight call every morning. It's the same idea that if you if you're doing a live show with right, stage yeah. combat, you you always gonna are going to do a fight call is to make sure that you're running that fight slowly or at a moderate pace, and then you can do it quick um, or at, at speed, as we like to say, just to make sure that you're safe. You got it back in your brain. Um, if you're gonna go, it's a Renaissance Festival example. You're gonna go five days without touching it. Then you come back on a Saturday morning, and you're expected to just go and do that, and you're swinging steel. That's a lot to 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 make not only safety for right. yourself and your your fellow counterpart who's also swinging steel, but the audience around you. So you have to have at least that in place to make that all work. But that's how the you know stage combat ties to the Renaissance Festival kind of deal. But well, I think certainly it's, not what got me started out there. But I think it's surprisingly more sophisticated than just going out. Oh there. no, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a, it's a lot more logistical and. It's just a matter of you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. It's always kind of fun to talk to people that don't know the term stage comment. It's right. like, I've never heard of that before. I'm like, yeah, you have. You, I remember. Lots. You never heard the term. Have you ever had like, somebody that has no idea about stunt combat explain it to you? <laughs> yeah, I know how to do it. Yeah, I'm like, sure my no, dad did. No, I mean, yeah, even like, even just learning the trick, like, oh, I'm, I jump out of a 15-story building into this dumpster. This is how you do it. Without wires, like it's 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 all, all those things are an art and a science. Yeah. And you know, yet again, an aspect you don't know what you don't know. But I remember the first time I went to the Renaissance Festival. Do you guys? Do you? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I didn't I go. Too. I didn't go until I was older. Because I, I I was in a big family, so like I didn't go until I was like fifteen or sixteen, and like my girlfriend's parents like brought brought. That me was my home. yeah. The first time I ever went out there was a, a my buddy Soren Nordmeyer. His his dad hooked it up, and we went out there, and it was already a cold morning. I was like, ah, it's going to be fine. Whatever. And uh, we get there, and I'm, you know, rocking the T-shirt and shorts. And it's, like, I think early in the season, or maybe middle of this, I don't know. It's, it's like, probably six degrees. It's yeah. probably towards the end of the season at this point, you know? Yeah. And, uh, which, at that point, starts to be October. So, that season, yeah. it was just a really cold weekend. So, we got out there, and it was just, I'm freezing. And he uh, he hooked me up with uh, puke and snot. Uh, yes. Yeah. Puke I remember and snot them. is a staple that's been out there, I think, since the origin of the festival. Are they back? They've been around. Like They've they've never gone anywhere. They might have had a no. hiatus for a year. They had One a hiatus for a while, away. didn't they? Oh, really? Right. Yep. 
and then they had a hiatus, I think, for maybe a year or season after that, and then they they got another puke or another snot, whatever yeah. it was. I don't I don't don't mean to be so dissociative of it. I'm just sure, not familiar sure. enough with it to necessarily know who. I'm sure they got a Wikipedia page. They do. I'm sure. <laughs> so obviously sure. you love acting. You, it's, a, is there, it's a thing. You well, know? before we get to yeah, I was going to ask since you do so much Renaissance Festival stuff. Yeah. Are you able to write off your on taxes your subscription to HBO so you can watch Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's absolutely research. Yeah. It's about the same period of costume. Sorry, I'm a professional. Although you guys do tend to wear more clothes, I'm sure your accountant be like, "Yeah, we could we could do it." Yeah, like, what do you mean? Oh, the Minnesota Red Sox Festival. You yeah. don't know? I do work. That's awesome. What do you do? I'm a pickle boy. I gotta watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> save, save all your, save all your receipts. Aid. That's Barnes my favorite thing yeah. to see the tax statement on the pickle boy thing. He's like, no, no, I gotta watch HBO, man. That's awesome. If I don't get my Game of Thrones, I can't do my summer job. That's awesome. Well, when I have to read all my tickets for right? everything, all my football tickets, absolutely. Or I logged in. It's a out, transferable skill. Yeah. Well, I logged in all my hours of watching football. Because you know, they're, oh they're, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm working. That is yeah, so, so true. If I spend, it's not a bad point. No, I'm watching. I was, you know, I'm, it's about being smart, it's not working the system, it's about being smart with your taxes, right? Well, if you actually, <laughs> for a football referee anyway, and you smart. go to a football game, you're watching people who are better at you. How did they navigate how they work? True, yeah, it's almost like you go to so workshop. true, yeah. Monkey see, monkey do sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it's successful. Right? So, Mike, I, I've also heard that uh, you like motorbikes. I do like the Ooh. things that go vroom vroom. Let's save that. We're going to take a little break, and we'll get back before uh, see how many about motorcycles. Love it. Sweetling, it's time. Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies with a one last black holes of gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen at eilfm.podbean.com. I never asked somebody, "Do you like movies?" And he said, "No." Like I would like to meet somebody. No, I don't like movies. I do not like movies. (laughs) You mean entertainment? No. (laughs) All right, we're back, Uh, Mike. Motorcycling, really? Oh God, yeah. How many? Oh yeah. Uh, I wish I had multiple. I have one right now, but like a Jay Leno garage, like a Jay Leno garage full of motorcycles. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Dream. Do you have Um, a sidecar? A sidecar? No. Um, <laughs> I Damn, I can't I would get one if and only if it was an old school military trike. Right. Yeah. Like get one of those really cool, like Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my yeah. God. Yeah. Junior. Junior. <laughs> like in England or something like that. Something British. For for God's sake, and, and with a nice sidecar, that'd be cool. So you don't. I imagine you don't have a crotch rocket. Right now I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. It's a jitter. You were imagining Suzuki a Jixer. hawk. It's a seven fifty. No, so things fist. It's fast. I was imagining like a forty-five fast. Indian. No, uh, no, my my first oh, wow, bike, my cool. first love. Um, I lost in a garage fire. That's a story. Um, yeah, I lost my first bike in a garage fire, but it was wow. a nineteen eighty-five Honda Interceptor. Yeah, I and remember those. It was uh, Interceptor was the first like crotch design that hit the market. Very sleeky, yeah. Very you know designed for 
you know, oh, there's these track bikes, and I want to go fast and look like a racer. So it was like, okay, Honda was smart enough back in the early 80s. Let's whip this thing out there and give people an opportunity to get, like, a track bike kind of deal. Yeah. So that came out, out along with the Magna, um, which was, like, a cruiser style, your, your typical kind of Harley-looking bobber yeah. bike kind of thing. Um, but seeing the two side by side, I have a, I have a photo when I saw them. Uh, I had my bike and next to a Magna that I saw at the vintage motorcycle show like three years ago. Which you watch the races? The mi- the um, the motorcycle. Yeah, I watch I watch some Red Bull TV, so I'll watch you know MotoGP that's on there and stuff like that. But I don't right. necessarily go out on my way to necessarily watch races. But I definitely like the bikes and working on them. And See, I would I would appreciate more the motorcycle race than the Formula One. What do you mean? Oh, so like oh, the yeah, street, yeah. street racing or Not like street the, racing? Though. No, just the, like the super two truck. wheels versus four. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's a lot more dynamic to watch. I would say um, in the scheme of things, and there's right, a lot more like, danger going on. There's a lot more yeah. dangerous, and everything can change hands like a nanosecond. Oh, like God, you yeah. misjudge one. Well, I mean, you ever seen a high side crash? You know what that is? No. So it's in usually it happens in a turn um, where you're laid over, is what they call it, where you're basically horizontal, right? Yeah. You're going around a turn. And you lose traction in your back tire. Let's say it comes off the track, you hit a brake too hard, and then you, you regain traction. It's a matter of it, the, re, the, the back tire regaining traction extremely fast, and that immediately it wants to snap back up, stand upright. Yeah. So it's, it's now basically horizontal and immediately wants to snap upright, and you're about 120 miles an hour, and you immediately get thrown basically that same speed forward. During this high side crash, it looks like a, if you a see a video, force, it, it yeah. reengages the back tire and immediately wants to snap back up. When it when it does so, it literally wants to throw you off the bike. So it's a, it's really fascinating to watch high side it almost crashes. Looks like a they save it. Yeah, it's almost literally, like, it looks like they're going to fly off the bike and they're like literally riding on their boots on the side of the motorcycle. They're skidding and then they'll swing themselves back up on the bike and they'll keep riding. Like it's it's pretty fascinating to see it saved. <laughs> but more often than not, it's going to be a matter of that happens. They're flying off the bike and they they and the bike are going into the side of the wall. So ouch. Yeah, high side yeah. crashes are nothing to joke about. But that yeah, that's that by itself is a fascinating thing. Do you ever want to do racing? I, Give me enough money. Sure. <laughs> we'll get you a sponsorship, yeah, right? Man, we'll put our logo right on your Motorsports are the thing. That's it's right. Like, we'll sponsor you. <laughs> you either have a sponsor or you're born into it kind of thing. You have a family that's got a history right, of racing yeah. where they know how to find sponsors. We'll give you an right Italian right last name and then you fit right in. Uh, Goosey or something like that? <laughs> right, right. Well, I, Amazon Prime, this whole documentary on Formula One racing about this whole that Grand Prix, this whole uh, season. Focus on one team's season on a Grand Prix. It's just amazing how much work goes into yeah. it, and like constantly weighing your car and what the heck changed. And well, in F one, yeah. it's also a matter of just like let's talk about the pit. I was yeah, saying, I can't imagine you, being a pit today. Crew you you win in the pit. It's not a matter of necessarily winning on the track. You win in the pit. It's yeah. it's the time save there. I mean, it used to be a matter of you're going to figure out fuel cost and fuel savings i'm going to have this amount of weight of fuel in my car i'm going to go this far this many this many laps before i have to stop off get more fuel so every year the regulations change and so the game changes too as far as how you do the math and how you think about it so these days it's just a matter of how fast are you in the pits so it's it's kind of amazing that you get four wheels off a car changed in less than two seconds today I was going to say, how long does it take you to change a tire? Because I know for me, it takes about probably 10 minutes. On a minutes. car? I mean, it's yeah, a matter of, right? I mean, in a modern car, we got to, yeah. Christ, we got to go and open up the, the trunk or the boot, as the Brits call it, and you go back there and you, you get your winch or your, your rent, you, you, you got to get your car lifted off the ground, then you, you you get your lug nuts, and that might be a matter of crap, those are really stuck on, can't get this broke loose. I think, right, for right. me, I it think it's forever. about a two beer, one cigarette job. Yeah, <laughs> right, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not two seconds, right? Right. Yeah, unless of course you're shotgunning those beers, right, Nick? I mean, boom, right. boom. <laughs> so hey, so what is your greatest accomplishment in Red Dead Redemption Two? Oh man, RDR Two. Uh, I heard you're a big fan. Really? I mean, if you're not playing that game, shame on you. If if you have access to the systems that it's on, it's it's in the scheme of an RPG open world. It's groundbreaking. It absolutely is. I like it had just every watching right to it win its awards that it's already won and, and the ratings that it's gotten. A lot of people wanted to shoot it to the win, but I don't know why they're saying that. So, greatest accomplishment? <laughs> Playing it? I don't know. It's a great game. But is your character good, evil, bad? 
I like to play the good guy for the most part. You know, uh, I play a share with the Renaissance Festival, but you know, m- most most times I like to try to be a nice guy. I know the one time I played it, I ended up murdering an old lady, and it was like it was really traumatizing. Oh, I mean, <laughs> sure, you save the game, and uh, I'm going to go do terrible things, and you go to a new village, and you just destroy everyone, and you use incendiary shotgun rounds, and that's always a good time. Right. I mean, it, it, they, they landed on the, the maiming aspect of it very well. It's very realistic in that aspect. And also, if you go hunting and you shoot down a buffalo, it's going to take you six hours just to skin the thing in-game. So you right. just got to you know let it sit. Maybe if you can change the channel and watch some TV for that six, I'm just kidding. It doesn't take that long, but it's, it's <laughs> right. ridiculous. It's very realistic in the scheme of things. It's for a video cool. game. It's a little over the top. It's pretty cool. Now, obviously, there's gaming outside of video games. Is there anything that you like to do outside of video games that you know? Well, I mean, yeah, it's always fun to to pick up a controller, and it's it's also kind of interesting these days. Like you know, the internet's fun. You can play with friends online, but. Man, where are the good old days of sitting down on the couch with your buddies and playing Mario Kart, GoldenEye, or something like that? It's, right. You don't really get the same experience. I mean, yeah, you get a buddy. Like, you know, even you yourself, Vince, you come over, you know, play some FIFA. But the same kind of experience, or even today, it's kind of nice that the 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 new, what the heck is it called? The Switch. The Nintendo the Switch. Switch. They just released the newest version of, uh, what's yeah. that battle game everyone likes to play? Pokemon Go? That's not a battle game. Well, Tetris. <laughs> oh God, I guess that is a battle game. My they do have they do have Tetris. No, 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 no. Like it's Battle Royale, Smash Tetris. Brothers. There we go. That Super finally, Smash like they have Brothers. a new yeah, release of that, and so that. that's yeah. finally brought sort of that. Let's hit the couch with our buddies and, and play together. I just I miss that about video games. Even playing Tetris with my my sister back in the day, or even Duck Hunt. You don't really get the same personal experience. I mean, it's pick up a headset and talk to friends online, which is fun. But I guess that's that's why I like to play Warhammer. For right? example, would be getting that opportunity to spend FaceTime with friends. I've always been. My friends from college could probably attribute to this or anybody. I just I hate Facebook. I hate social media. I don't like touching it <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. It's invasive. You're not alone. Blah, blah blah. The government. Ah, oh, it's horrible. But no, there's a lot of that side of it too. Sure, fine. But get the tinfoil hat out. But on the other side of the coin, it. Uh, I just I like this. I like getting in front of other people's faces, you know, and, and being able to, to, to look in their eyes and talk to them. That's a lot more personal experience and yeah. even talking to them on the phone. So it's the same thing was I, I kind of suck at t- and staying in touch with people. You know, that's where it's going back to like my, even my college friends that I years at a time, you know, even, you know, hit them up and message them or whatever it might be. It's like shame on me, but at the same time, I'd rather just see you. So right, that's where, you know, things like Warhammer which I don't play enough but so it's a tabletop War- game yeah, so go. it's it's something where you literally in the in the scheme of the game at least tied to this immediate conversation of playing things with friends um, is that you, you get your little miniatures out um, and it's a tabletop game and it's like it's kind of like picture risk I guess would be the closest thing for people that could picture a tabletop kind of game All right. where you're going to have small pieces that are going to represent you know uh, infantry and artillery and things like that. Okay. Um, so you have either Warhammer 40k or you have traditional Warhammer, and Warhammer would just be your your horses and skeletons and goblins and stuff like that. Um, Renaissance era. I should be playing that version, shouldn't I? Um, I play <laughs> I play 40k, which is the the ten thousand years in the future kind of version of it, and I play a, a version of a chapter of Space Marines. And the Space Marines would be uh, basically modified. Think of Spartans like uh, like uh, Master Chief from Halo. So they're, <laughs> they're modified yeah, humans. It's a, a very good right. equivalent. So they're, hey. they're modified, uh, beefed-up humans that wear power armor, and they go out and they fight aliens or whatever race it's going to be. And I, I play uh, the Blood Angels part of the, the Space Marines. And um, what's cool about the tabletop game is that not only is it, you know, something fun to play with your friends, but there's so much lore to it. You know, it's the same ideas that you can right, pick up a yeah. book in the novel, read the lore of, of, you know, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or uh, yeah, Westeros, I, whatever right. it's going to be. You're going right, to have this right. huge lineage that ties back to it. So you can, you know, have that in your head when you're playing these games yeah. with, you know, let's say you're going up against the goblin race or whatever it's going to be. But you can have that idea of where your patriarch and theirs is, is, are coming to clash and you can kind of build that to it. So it's 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 kind of like you could even have some of a D&D aspect to it of, yeah. of sort of this live action role playing kind of thing with a tabletop game. So it's kind of cool that aspect. But as far as getting it out there, it's a matter of you, you get a ton of dice, a stupid amount of dice. 
Well, and there are a lot. Things. So let's, let's say you've got a, a squadron of like ten Marines. You have to roll ten a minimum of ten dice just and for like how many Warhammer? shots. And this is Warhammer. Yeah, Warhammer. Warhammer. Okay. So um, it's a matter of you're gonna measure the distance. So you rolled how many inches you can like. Let's say your your movement characteristic for that given character is six inches. You're sure. gonna roll your dice. For how many inches of that six you're gonna you're gonna so a maximum yeah. of six inches right or a minimum of one inch your character's gonna move. My wife and does math. Thing. By the I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right? but it's even not a, not arithmetic at this point. Yeah. Okay, so, so I want to I want to make sure our audience understands that when, when we say tabletop game, we're talking basically the tabletop that we have set up right in front of us here in in our studio, and it's about a picnic sized table. Yeah, you can certainly you can, go you to a picnic table. Oh, you could absolutely do it outdoors at a right? picnic table. But about that size. Yeah, would, and would, I love you want on a minimum. the interactivity that you get, especially like in a game like Warhammer, where like you're literally you're moving your army and your pieces, your opponent's moving their pieces. These things are interacting, and it's like you're really playing with the other people. And there's multiple people you can it's, play with. It's it's not just another person, but like it even ties back many. to chess. I mean, it's a very it's a strategic game. Yeah. You have to be pretty yeah. smart from the get go about with a what, lot of luck. <laughs> and it's it's a point system too. So usually it's two thousand points is yeah. like a, a, a normal size minimum point value for an army. And then within that point value system, you, you determine what you're going to have. So you're going to have X Y Z of artillery and flying things, yada yada yada. And then it's what am I going up against? What should I be taking into the battlefield? So you're even thinking about the the battle before it even starts. Then you you do your role for who's going to set up things, and you're setting up things, and you don't know where things are going to be. So that can completely you, you have an idea from the, the setup, and then you roll the first dice and you start the game, and it's just like oh crap. How long does it <laughs> usually take to play? It What's varies. Like a- it depends on you could do skirmishes, which are kind of short format. Okay, maybe a little short battle. Uh, most of it's you're going to be like doing a full full game, which is usually about a minimum of six rounds. Well, you also have is it to five rounds. Well, that's also that's battle, so you have to also right because like you have to. Well, yeah, like a full a normal game was either like five or six rounds, as far yeah. as like in the rule book, which is about what a normal minutes, match right? would be. It's about 40, 45 minutes. Oh hell no, <laughs> forty five minutes? No, 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 no. Um, these are hours, Three hours, hours, <laughs> hours, and hours. Yeah. Um, it I takes a while say, to play. Uh, so the shortest still. you could get through a game would be yeah. two hours. Okay. Hour and a half, maybe if you're lucky. So you gotta be committed. I, I mean, if you're if you're experienced and you have, it it also would be a point of memorization at that point because you've got different point values and, and numbers for attacks, right? Yeah. So all that comes into play, and you're gonna get your codex out and your rule book and blah blah blah, and it, you can memorize things certainly, which makes the matter of rolling the dice faster. But if you're constantly having to go back and reference, like, oh, what's the point value for this bolter? What's the point value for this heavy grenade launcher? What's this, you know, this is, oh, AP minus four. And if you don't have that all memorized, then it could be a lot of referencing, which will take lower. Which will take longer. Yeah. It certainly keeps you honest (laughs) at the end of the day, too. Um, But along with it, it's a matter of you you get your your tools out and you're you're cutting pieces out of um, sprue, right? It's called a sprue set. Um, usually in in plastic molding or even metal molding, it's called a sprue, and you literally cut your pieces out from that. It's a mold, it's an injection mold process. So you cut your tiny little torso out and your tiny little bolt gun out, and then you glue it all together, and then you paint them, and then you put yeah. it on the table and you play it. So which is it's a labor of love though, right? too. There is that you could you could totally just buy the stuff, put them together, have it just your your bland gray character with your black base and play it that way that's fine now you have a few but of those you can don't certainly you certainly <laughs> customize it any way you want doesn't matter if you're an inexperienced or an experienced painter sometimes yeah. you know you get the professional painters and you look like a doofus comparatively but who cares it's your own right you made it so it's something it's, proud of. uh like sci-fi fantasy kind of your favorite genre I would I would put it up there yeah, yeah. certainly high in the Richter style I love sci-fi movies Right. So like and aliens, anything sci-fi. I would, I would. Aliens do exist. I, no, no, no. I, I mean like the movie, <laughs> the movie Aliens. That's a different thing. Um, I like all of them. Yeah, or even just the the small history, uh, little tidbits about it, like the the chestburster scene. Oh yeah. Ninety nine percent of the cast had no idea what was going to happen. All the CGI really? guys knew. You know, of course, right, they had yeah, planned it. Yeah. But that's that's you know, the director's whole idea. The reason that Kubrick got such awesome, realistic footage is that. 
you get I think it was really scatastic moments is that they had no idea and then yeah, boom, right? this thing ch- pops out of the chest all this blood and they freak out it's a wonderful wonderful bit of a cinema but so uh, books fantasy you don't, you don't read a lot do I don't read a ton um, but in the scheme of books I mean Douglas Adams in the scheme of fantasy well, I love <laughs> Douglas Adams <laughs> yeah yeah, you get that. He is great. Yeah, the the movie was, was wait, you wait, know wait, sad, but why does uh, everybody? I, don't know, I mean, but why everybody loves Hitchhiker? I don't know why. But the second one's so much better. Which the restaurant at the end, end of the universe, I think is. Was that the second one? I thought that was like near the end. I think like, the, the end. restaurant at the end of the universe is like five or six. Five or six. Did Sean that, Bean? That's the best. One. Yeah, act in the remake. Well, think, so long. And thanks for all the fish. I think that's the second one. Right. That yeah. might be. But yeah. yeah, all those. If you haven't read Douglas Adams or if you don't know who he is, do a little research. It's, Check him out; he's awesome. It's, it's kind of funny, funny that thing. Hitchhikers gets the most celebrated, but I don't think it's the best one out of the. It, not in the scheme of things, but I think it probably wins a lot of praise because it's it's interesting sci-fi, but all together it's it's very funny, witty British humor. Right. And even even to the American eye and ear, it's. It's different, right? It's not your typical. It's it's right. like why, the the reason that a lot of Americans love Monty Python. It's a different type of comedy that you don't typically, you know, get introduced on a daily basis. That's probably why, for at least Americans, that what have do you someone expect? of a tie. The Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. I like yeah. Benny Hill. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. We were at Crypticon uh, doing a panel discussion, and uh, we were leaving. And we're walking down the hallway, and somebody was dressed up as a Spanish. It's like I totally didn't expect that. He goes, "That's the whole point." <laughs> nice. See, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just—it's also probably like the easiest cosplay you could do: grab a oh. towel and a bathrobe. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Well, there you go. Right. And yeah. just interesting, like funny characters. You know, you got uh, Zaphod Beeblprox is just a funny name. A manic depressive robot. A ma- yeah, Mar- <laughs> Martin Marvin the Martian. Yeah, he's just like- a sad, dopey character. <laughs> He's, yeah. a, he's a robot, right? Yeah. But he's got these these sad, dopey emotions. He's an emo robot. So, are we talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide yeah, to the yeah, Galaxy? Yeah. The robot. I thought we were talking great. about the the Hitcher, but totally. Was it Ford? <laughs> Is that the other main character? Proc, Proc, Ford. Yeah. Ford. What's his last? The something, one who's got the Ford. It's yeah, a plan. Pro, Ford Prospect or something like that. Nah, I, I can't remember. So, did you like the movie then? The it movie was. I mean, that's true. yeah. It's, it's always true. one of those things. Like you know, oh, I read the book, so. I know everything about this and the books are always better and like it's totally a story of that like I, I'm usually yet again I don't read a ton but it's I, I overly a fanboy you know it's like I love the books so dearly they did a, good, a pretty good yeah. job right they, they did what they could it's always interesting it's always going to be a matter of you're going to have your director your writer your team producing this piece of cinema from a written work and it's going to be a matter of taking that written work and how I'm going I'm to play with it it's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory right you get your traditional, lovely, we love what we know, right? And then you've got modern day Sondheim kind of thing going on here. I don't know. I don't like it, but it's 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 too it's it's taking the same written material and yeah. producing what you want from it. So it, it, I I hate it when people are like, oh, the book was so much better than the movie. But in this in this example, it's it, it's it's just tough. It's really hard to take. Any any piece of literature and properly put it on film, I, I, I would have. Well, to not it's really like really hard to be format, dedicated to it, right? A two-hour format because squeeze a lot in there. Right? Here's the problem: if you read it first and you love it that much, yet again, it's a novel that means something to me. That's why we're talking about it. But if it, you know, yet again, means something like you know, that much to you, you you read it and you have your own thoughts and feelings about right. what's going on. You have, you know, that's that's part of why reading is is such a lovely gift, right? Is that you you can make your own version of it in a way is that you, you the way that you've created your professor McGonagall is going to be different than your friend or whatever it's going to be and that's kind of an interesting thing too is that when you're talking about books with your friends is that you have kind of your own idea about it and that's why it's an open forum nice thing to talk about at the end of the day so I don't know the movie it was it was alright yeah. <laughs> I guess this is where all I can land on it was, it was alright which one have you watched the most you think movie which movie have I yeah. watched the most? Which one is like um, an automatic for you? Yeah. Um, well, Labyrinth pops in my head because I was like, I watched that movie all the time when I was a kid. I loved right. the Labyrinth. And it's just a really weird, really weird movie with goblins. And what's cool is that and it's it's Jim Henson's puppet. And then and yeah. then you got David Bowie. Right. Being hey, David hey, Bowie. Yeah, you know, I'm in that costume. I don't think you was, can do that costume anymore. It's such <laughs> a weird movie, but all yeah. together, such a lovely story. I mean, it's... 
it definitely has it. It definitely has a story to tell, and it's a really good one. You know, it's it's meaningful. Yeah. It's you know being mindful and 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 more importantly, it's like it's it's appreciating what you have and not realizing yeah, yeah. it. You know, until you know all this. But uh, it's it's a weird. It's 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 great. See it. Is that like Tom See Cruise it. in there? Um, no, that's oh, Legend. Man, Legend. Um, Back to the Future. All of them. That would right. be my favorite trilogy. Period. Can you just write the script from memory? No, but I should be able to. <laughs> I love them. Morty. Uh, um, yeah. Love them. Uh, v for Vendetta. I feel like I have to watch that like once a year. I, oh my god, I'm, I like, feel the same way. On no. the fifth of November, it's like kind of you need to yeah. do that kind of thing. So you, that happens yearly. About did you read the book? <laughs> I right. should read yeah. the book. Is yeah. that Vonnegut? No, that's. I don't know Alan why Moore. I wanted to think that's Vonnegut. It's because obviously that's not. Yeah, it's yeah, very it's, much Vonnegut, but it's it's yeah. in the sea. It's in it's, it's in its vein, it's, but right, like yeah, not yeah, social so, awareness. Not Kurt Vonnegut, but, but um, is that eighty? No, no is that Alan Moore. Is that, Alan Moore. Is that it's a new world. Is that Vonnegut? Is that eighty four? Uh, eighty five. It came out the nineteen eighty. No, 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 no. The book nineteen eighty four. Is that Vonnegut? No. Who? What did Kurt Vonnegut write? Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse Five. Why is that in my head then? Billy Pilgrim. But I mean, yeah, it's certainly along with that that you know Neolithic. Futuristic. Oh, yeah, so. you should. Uh, you that's the comic book is fitting because it's actually you see what the movie. It's very much looks like it. Oh, yeah. okay. Because it is a comic book. Gotcha. For I mean, I, yeah. I, I was in in that scheme. Like Watchmen, for example, is a really close tie to the the the, the, the just the panels, just the individual panels. Right. Like even from the beginning, one of the first scenes that's memorable from from even the movie is you get that long shot where it's panning out from. The, the smile with the, the little yeah. blood coming out, right? And you have that panned out all the way to the top where they're doing the investigation inside of the Yeah, hospital. it's in the book, too. It's a, like shot for shot. It's panel for panel. Like panel for cinematic shot for panel in the comic. It's, it's amazing. If, yeah. For at least that aspect of, of taking the written, drawn material and then bringing that to cinema and being as true to it well I think it's easier to, it's pretty cool well, I think the reason why we get a lot of comic books transferring to movies it's easy to sell mm. what's it gonna look like you've got your storyboard <laughs> right, already right. written it's, yeah, well here's your storyboard it's right. pretty storyboard saves uh, the storyboard artist some time I'm sure well I think because that's how they were able to sell Sin City Sin City uh, yeah, yeah Robert Rodriguez went well, to producers what's it gonna look like <laughs> but all together it's, yeah. it, it, it allows or it lends itself for really interesting opportunities for film is that I would have Sin City was groundbreaking the aspect of like we made this very comic book feeling oh, yeah. noir. Why does it feel so real but out of place? That exactly, and it's not immediately yeah. apparent to the eyes that it, it takes you a minute or two while you're you know you first watch the movie and you kind of jarred a bit and you kind of get used to it. But then somewhere in the middle of it or otherwise something's going to happen. And you have you know that, that weird yellow guy character and it's that, that yeah. completely blank black. Uh, screen, and then you got the little creepy yellow guy, right? Yeah, that's completely highlighted, and they always look neon in this completely black background. And it's not until you get scenes like that, or even you know the the main character just being like almost completely white with these black aspects as well, where you're just getting shadows and picking up the character that way. Yeah. There's some scenes like that that kind of take you up for a minute and remind you, like, okay, there's something weird about the way that this is filmed, but it's. I, it was it was just nice is that when you tie that back to the fact that it is in fact a comic book it was the coolest thing cinematically that they made it feel right kind I, of realistic but not and it, the, it brought I, you into the story in a very in in a very unique aspect yeah because uh, when Frank Miller does you know he did Sin City yep. he did the uh, Return of the Dark Knight everything it's very much not soft no and not anything he does absolutely soft is off the record. Not no being nice, oh, no cuddly moments. Yeah. Everything is just hard and harsh. Mm-hmm. And with the way he draws it too, that's how right. the look of it is very hard. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. Very hard lighting and very yeah. harsh. And I, that's the world. That's his world, which is very. Sometimes I'm glad and I just get to see it. I don't have to live. Right. Don't have to live in it, right? right. Yeah. So true. So, is there any um, any role that you would like to do? I mean, you've done Shakespeare. And the scheme of what would be like if you ask, ask you know, you ask an actor, what's your dream role? Yeah, um, and it's kind of a it's kind of a misleading question. It can be because it's like, well, you know, I do this kind of thing, and you have to kind of land on like, what are you talking about? Because you know, right. I've done some film stuff. I did a YouTube series where I played a villain, and I did 
obviously it's stage work, um, musical theater. I'm a musical theater major by default. So, I mean, in the scheme of things, what immediately comes to my mind, what's your dream role? It would, of course, tie back to I started off doing musical theater in like fifth grade. So it's always going to tie to musicals for me. Um, I want to play Sweeney Todd badly. <laughs> not Sweeney not the movie Dad. version. No, not no. the movie version. No, there's, no, there's sauna, yeah. painful things that happen with that. Right. Yet again, it's, you're going to take the, the media that's... Well, but he's not necessarily all that This bad. is already yeah. something that's been sung before, okay? Right. So yeah. y- you can't, you can't, you can't take a villain that's written as a bass baritone because that's, you know, historically and even to date in the scheme of musical theater, you're going to write a villain that's going to be about a bass baritone because that's the timbre that sounds dark and, and eerie and right. you're not going to have a tenor that's going to come out there and start singing, you know, these deep dark, which they did. I understand that Johnny Depp is a tenor by default and sure, um, oh, what was the director? I can't think of the director's name. Is it Tim He's going to kill me. Burton. Yeah. Um, he long, long history working with Depp, obviously. Right. From, you yeah. know, Edward Scissorhands and lo- yeah, many got, different projects. Probably in his phone contact. I mean, it's like yeah. they're match made to heaven. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm sure do they, it. Yeah. he probably has to do little to nothing. He just probably points and he gets direction and it's probably a really good relationship. But anyway, um, so I get that and, you know, Burton's going to be directing it, but for, they, that was the biggest thing that hurts. It's like they, they, they made yeah. him into a, a tenor and a bass baritone. They took out all of the ensemble stuff, which is like, the Demon Barber, Fleet Street, all, all, Street, all the stuff like just really, really tight ensemble stuff that really makes the show vibrant and feel like there is a community and that you are in the hearts of London and, and it gives it some more brevity. And that they took that out. <laughs> and I personally feel that Anthony couldn't sing to save his life. Joanna barely could sing to save her life. Um, Helena Bottom Carter is amazing. That was one of the coolest Mrs. Lovett's probably in the history of the character or the role. Yeah. And then you had uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as Pirelli, which was awesome. He that does, was, yeah, he that was, was pretty beautiful. good. He was pretty good. But then on top of that is that, you know, Burton's got a history of doing these over-the-top, over you know, lavish yeah, things, yeah. and that's He's fine. Exaggeration to a point, but it's a bloody it's a bloody show. Don't get me wrong, but they got oh, yeah, over the top of the cornstarch. It was, it was way too much. Like, and in, 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 in sort of... I'm sure that Burton probably had his own ideas for it, but, like, for example, there's a scene where Pirelli gets beaten to death with the steam kettle and then put in the trunk, which he just gets his throat cut and then put in the trunk. And then you have this additive in the movie. In the, in the show is what happens, like, you know, he just cleanly gets his, his throat cut and he's thrown in the trunk, right? Yeah. And then in, in the movie, Burton, just for whatever reason, decided to use the steam kettle thing, which just added to the brutality of it and just the amount of gore was way over the top. There's just like things like That's that that awesome. kind of pulled you out of it, personally. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe, maybe too not necessarily. Uh, I don't want to phrase it as an edgy, uh, an unfamiliar audience. I guess is how I want to say it. Somebody that's right. never fresh to the story, never seen it before. I would say maybe it was effective. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think if you're a Burton fan, yes. But if you're a fan of Sweeney Todd. Yeah. But, but even about if you're a fan of Sweeney Todd and you're a fan of Burton, the relationship it was a little over the top at times. But yes. it was, I mean, it was a, it, overall it was a pretty good film adaptation of that story. Yeah. But uh, in the scheme of like really effective film adaptations of a, of a given musical, sure. Uh, the, the last one that really nailed it was um, Into the Woods. That was really. Well you passed. like that? Yeah. yeah. That show was the movie was. You didn't was like well Les Mis? You didn't like Les Mis? No, I'll get there. Les Mis is perfect. I mean, right. not perfect. There was there was. Oh, problems it was perfect. You said perfect already. You can't take back a perfect life. But, um, it's oof, wow. I, I don't. I don't think you could probably possibly have gotten a better Fontina on stage. I mean, she was it was a great. I thought I thought Lynn Miz was awesome to die for. I mean, that she nailed that that solo. That was godly. Um, really well cast. I yeah, really I thought so. That one, but. I don't know what came came to mind first because I did that one in college, uh, but in in the scheme of like taking this, you know, yeah. the stage, stage material and putting yeah. it on film, it was it was pretty true to life, pretty true to the stage, which is kind of fun. What do you think of Jesus Christ Superstar? Because like that's like pretty true to the. Production I've never been a too. huge fan of that story, so I don't I don't I never I haven't seen it. I've seen I've, no, I haven't seen the stage. Have not. I've seen okay. the off. You're doing yourself a disservice, sir. What the heck is that show called? I can never think of it, but it's another Jesus show, and it's a musical. Mormon? No, 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 no. Book it came of Mormon. Out, like, it's a, it's not a classic, but I, okay. I want to say it probably came out before the you know before the '90s rolled around. Probably came out late mid '80s, maybe even early '90s. But right. it's another Jesus theme 
Something it's not Joseph, obviously. That's well, a totally some, different story. But it's, it's like Jesus Christ Superstar, but it's not called Jesus Christ Superstar. Not Joseph and Amazing. It was, yeah, it's, cause it's, it's like it's like when those films, That's like Tombstone production. and the other one that came out around the same time, it's the same story, or even The Matrix and Equilibrium, they came out within six months of each other. It's basically right. the same exact movie. <laughs> Matrix did do it better. It's always <laughs> interesting when that happens. It's like, how did, how did that... You ever seen Equilibrium? I, I went That's to, a great movie, Sean is, Bean. This is, this is, I went to the theater to see Snatch with Brad Pitt. Oh, and the guy gave the whole speech. That movie. guy gives a whole speech of why you chop up people and you feed them to the to pigs. The pigs yeah. And then I go see Hannibal <laughs> the next time, and then he's going to be he's chopped idiot. up. And yeah, and the yeah. theme of people getting. Eaten. And then what? Two years. And then two years later, you have Deadwood come out, and that's people getting chopped up. Throw one into the stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, woo! I don't, <laughs> I don't want to see any more pig stuff. There's just these themes like, oh, yeah. we're going to start doing superheroes. Oh, we're going to have people eating each other. Oh, we're going to have zombies now. Well, yeah, I've no oh, wait, there's more zombies. people eating each other. I've noticed recently trains have become predominant back into movies. Girl trains? on the train, the commuter, or just a, random trains and trains involved in the movies. So there's been a huge saturation of trains involved. Have you seen Snowpiercer? That's a movie I really yeah, want to see. That's a great but have movie. you heard about the the tie to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. It's a good movie. You should see it if you haven't seen it. It's literally the the the, the tie there. Because I still haven't seen Snowpiercer, but it's literally you take Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. This is now after the movie. It's now post-apocalyptic, <laughs> and it's like Willy that's running this train. It's potentially watch the YouTube video about like oh Snowpiercer and Willy Wonka. Literally just watch that. It's fascinating. Because <laughs> to tie Willy Wonka to something post-apocalyptic and very gory, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's actually a really good movie. All right. Before we go, uh, what is another one of your favorite musicals? If you got a couple of them, if you want to spit them out, uh, Hamilton is definitely groundbreaking. That's an amazing, amazing production. How many times have you seen it? Um, I haven't seen it, but I've definitely listened to the the, the music a lot. Okay, it's yeah. very beautiful music. Um, in the scheme of beautiful music, uh, Spring Awakening comes to mind. I just love a lot of that music, especially uh, Mama That Bore Me, which is like the first song. Um, but one of my personal favorites that I've happened to see four times on Broadway. <laughs> then you really like it, yeah. Wicked. It's really? an amazing show. I, I saw it when I was in high school when I went to New York for the first time. Um, mm. Did a little trip. And then saw it again when I was in college, shot in Chicago. So I saw it in New York, saw it in Chicago. I saw it when I was in Los Angeles. I ended up winning the lottery, which is an opportunity to get front row tickets for like 25 bucks. I was in Los Angeles with an ex-girlfriend um, back in, I think, 2010, maybe, 2009, right. and uh, won the lottery, so I got to see it front row um, in Los Angeles, and then when I was study abroad in England for a semester, I saw it in London, so I've seen it three times in America and once okay. across the pond, which is really interesting, because they changed some of the verbiage and the language to make it some you know British English. <laughs> You're right, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it was the first time Elphaba, who's the lead character... Um, was was an Af- African American woman. It was amazing. Yeah. She was stupidly talented. It was a very good cast. But the music in that is is just to listen to is amazing. But to see it staged, it's a spectacle. But I would deadly like to see Book of Mormon. I think you mentioned that earlier, didn't you? Yeah, Somebody did. It should be amazing. Uh, yeah. I I would love to see that. I've seen opening. the video, you know, the yeah. YouTube video, whatever you can come across the bootleg, think, you know, the well, stage. But the music is unreal. I mean, it's so well written. <laughs> It's super Trey funny. Parker, Matt Stone, South Park is amazing. Well, right. yeah, but I mean, it's these two guys that write a comedy and then they go off and write a musical, and it's utterly successful. I mean, Trey Stone, Matt Parker, very yeah. successful. All right, well, that's the end of the podcast, and it's not over to the guest says it's over. I guess it's over. Yeah.